Los Angeles International Airport, LAX. We know the place, yes? International students, you are, this was your welcome mat into our country. It takes 45 minutes to get to LAX and another 45 minutes to get out of the car. <laughs> July 21, flight 73, 11.15 p.m., gate 44. I was boarding a flight. I arrive at the airport early because I love the airport and I like to watch the people. If I have to get late to the airport, I feel like I've lost part of the adventure. I'm early, my flight's not till 11.15. I'm flying from here to Sydney, Australia. This was this summer. I had an assignment in Sydney at the hospital there. And so, we get on the plane and we sit down and we nestle in the earbuds and my book and my jacket and all the things three of us squished in as tight as can be for a 15-hour journey. A flight attendant came by, touched the seats in front of us and said, just so you know, your entertainment systems are out. What did you just say? <laughs> I feel like this is, could be a refrain, so hang on to that. Your flight systems, your entertainment systems are out. Don't worry, we're going to bring you the tablets from business class so you'll be able to watch movies. No, don't worry, don't worry. Okay. After meal service, we'll do that. Pretty soon, some men in yellow outfits come onto the plane, they point and they touch and for maybe one minute they're on the plane and then they leave. They close the doors, we back up, we taxi out, we take off. As soon as we're in the air, the voice comes on. Some of you have, may have noticed we had some technicians on the plane before we left Los Angeles. So this announcement is for those of you in rows 16 to 22. If you're in row 16 to 22, we have an, I'm sorry, rows 14 to 22, we have an announcement for you. Those of you in row 14 to 16, your lights are out above your seat. Those of you in row 16 to 22, well, your outlets are out. Those of you in rows 16, 16, your electrical outlet is out also, just so you know. So don't worry, we'll be bringing some entertainment systems to you, and we'll do that after the meal service. After the meal service, they brought us the little tablets, and they left. Three of us in row 16, if you heard carefully, row 16 is out of everything. <laughs> Seat A, B, and C. So we get the tablets, and we turn them on, and they don't work, and we call for the flight attendant, and she said, well, you have to plug them in, don't plug them in. Oh, you don't have power? No, we don't have, we're the row without power, remember. Oh, these won't work, she takes them back and leaves. I hadn't thought yet about the flight pattern from Los Angeles to Sydney that we would be chasing nighttime for 15 hours. That when we left at 11.15 p.m., we would not see the sunrise until about an hour into, towards Sydney, hour out of Sydney. I had not thought all of this through, Seats A, B, and C are now all sitting here. I'm still thinking, she didn't even say sorry. I say to the guy, two over, he's one of those executive platinum kingly types. She said she'd give us some extra airline miles. How many miles is this worth to you, king? He said, yeah, not enough. Because I was planning to work on this flight, at least half the flight I thought I would work, so I'm losing a half a day of work time. My mind is busy. The woman next to me says, I don't want miles. I don't even have an account. I don't know what he's talking about. I want a refund. You can't sell a seat that doesn't work on an airplane. You just can't do that. I say, clearly you can. <laughs> Here we are, A, B, and C, 15 hours to Sydney in the dark. What do you do for 15 hours when your screens are out? 
The first thing I said was, thank you, God, that I'm not a 10-year-old boy right now. You reach for your phone. I have a phone. Can't plug it in. 20% battery. Forgot my portable charger at home. Choose wisely, Miss Oberg, I said to myself. I was planning to put my earbuds in and take a nap, fall asleep. I usually go to sleep with noise of some kind. It was going to be the sound of music, and I would be sleeping. Can't do that, so I begin to go through my apps. I have no movies on my phone. I've just recently emptied the podcasts, cleaned out the libraries. There's no podcasts on my phone. I go to the music file. I have one song, one album, one album, and 20% battery. And when I land in Sydney, I will need to navigate myself public transportation before I get a charge on this thing. Choose wisely. So I press play, and this is what I hear. that refrain for 14 hours. Did you know it? When I got off of the plane in Sydney, guess what little tune I was singing? I happened to have a U2 album on my phone because it downloaded for free from iTunes in 2014. And so here they go on this song. Oh, 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 the drums eventually come and the electric guitar eventually comes and I'm listening to this song. What is this song? I have 14 more hours to get acquainted with you song. Here's some of the lyrics. The Miracle of Joey Ramone is the title. It's got these punkish power chords. It's kind of driven musically. It's not really the song to go to sleep to. I was chasing down the days of fear, chasing down a dream before it disappeared. I was aching to be somewhere near. Your voice is all I heard. Is it a love song? I've never actually listened to this album before. <laughs> Next verse, I was shaken from a storm in me, haunted by the specters, the ghosts we had to see. Yeah, I wanted to be the melody above the noise, above the hurt. And then comes the chorus, I was young, not dumb, just wishing to be blinded by you, brand new, and we were pilgrims on our way. You know, you two, you know, usually, you're gonna run into some meaningful lyrics. We're pilgrims on our way. What is this song? It looped and it looped and it looped. This is actually a song and an album written reflecting the 70s when the band is first forming. They're reimagining what brought them together as a band. What were their earliest experiences? Who were those primary and first relationships? What was the music that drove them? And that's actually where this song comes from, that first early influence, because it turns out Bono at age 17, 18 thought he sounded like a girl. He would never be a singer. And then he wanders into a club and hears this guy, Joey, singing and says, he sounds like a girl. If he can sing, I can sing. So the ballad is an ode to a young singer with a voice that made Bono feel comfortable, confident enough he could be a singer. Here's a little bit of the lyrics. Listen.
spared you the heavy metal right there. Dun, dun. What is this song? An ode to someone who inspired him. Turns out the entire album, when I landed in Sydney, I couldn't get any other song on this album to play. <laughs> the entire album is on my phone, but only one song will play. When I landed, I plugged in my phone while I'm waiting for my train, I'm reading. The entire album is, is an older band reflecting on the early days. Let's ask the difficult questions. If we go back to the beginning, what were the social issues? Who were the conversations? So there is a song about the voice that inspired Bono. And there's a song about the night his mother died, the time his mother died, the period of his life, 14, 15 years of age, the rage that followed grief. There's a song about their first trip to California and what that meant. There's a song about the night bombs raged in their hometown of Dublin. What are the large social conversations that were happening? Let's make a difficult album, they said. Let's go back and ask some brave questions. Let's ask some of the beginning questions. What do you do for 15 hours in the dark on a flight from Los Angeles to Sydney? You start thinking about some of the big questions, the brave questions, the urgent questions. I started thinking about you. What does it mean to be church in 2020? What does it mean to be Christians in a world exhausted by Christians in 2020? What does it mean to be Seventh-day Adventists who seem to be, in my opinion, floundering around to know who they are? What does it mean if the greatest confession of the church, Jesus is Lord, if that confession is true, what does it mean in 2020? I began to think about the large questions, the brave questions, all of us together. The pastors talk about this often. We don't know if you do, but we'll spend a month trying to find out. We talk about this often. What is the church and who ought the church to be? Before buildings and bands and pipe organs, before churchy people, we were simply called a gathering or a community. The book of Acts we read from this morning records that. If you were to open your Bible, Acts chapter one, and put your finger in that seam, it's connected to the Gospel of Luke, where Luke ends, we're told, Acts continues. It would have been handy if the Bible compilers had arranged them that way, huh? So we didn't have John in between. So where Luke ends with the life of Jesus, Acts continues with what happens now after Jesus has left. Jesus puts the disciples in a room and says, wait, wait for the power, don't get out in front of me. The power's coming, and if you were here last fall, we did an entire sermon series on the Holy Spirit. What it is that this power, this resource, this impulse, this strength, this compulsion, this compassion, all of what God gives us to be in this world with God's presence. We did a sermon series on that last fall. Jesus says, sit down and wait for it. Whether it's 40 days, Acts says it's 40 days, Luke says it all happened in kind of one really crammed afternoon. Remember, the Bible sometimes does this to us. We don't get too troubled by that. The disciples had time with Jesus. So I'm going with the 40-day version, Acts chapter one. One author calls it the 40-day gospel. If you could sit with Jesus for 40 days and ask all the questions and listen to all the answers and eat some good food around a table, what would that be, those 40 days? 
Acts 1 verse 6, when they were together for the last time, they said, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? There's the urgency in this question because this is what they've been longing for. This is what their ancestors longed for. They dreamed of a time there would be peace in the land and everyone would stream back into Israel and everyone, whether they confess God or not, God would be God at last. Oh, Jesus, is it time for that? They ask. Sometimes we forget there's always a prior story, church. Where we're sitting today, there's a prior story. 10 years ago, and 50 years ago, and 100 years ago, there's always a prior story, like with Jesus, the ancestors of Jesus, and then the prior story with the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel. No one is starting a brand new thing ever with God. We're all joining a prior story. The disciples ask this obvious question, Jesus, Jesus, look, this is a new Jesus. He gets up out of the grave and he, he walks through walls and doors and I mean, this, this Jesus ought to be able to be the one. Peace finally on our earth. The disciples ask the obvious question, is that what will happen next, Jesus? In verse seven, Jesus tells them, you don't get to know. You don't get to know the timing of my father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all over Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. God has total authority over this story. We'll get the resources, but the story will always be God's. Verse 9, these were his last words, Jesus And as they watched, he was taken up and he disappeared with the cloud and they stood there, staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes and they said, you Galileans, why are you standing there looking up in the air? It's an empty sky. The most important thing the book of Acts will record, what is it we're all doing here? It's just been said and then Jesus is gone. Most important information we need, what is the mission of the people who are left behind It's just been said. You'll be given power, Jesus says. What what do you mean by power? There's no more time for questions. What do you mean by the Spirit? They don't get to ask again. It seems now that the heavenly realm and the earthly realm really will be connected by absence, by relationship, by an, an intentional mission. Acts chapter one tells us the most important thing we need to know. What is it we're all doing here? And after that day, we become a little tribe waiting. Waiting is in our DNA. Waiting witnesses. This was the verse 1-8, Acts 1-8. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my storytellers in the world. Jesus goes up, the spirit comes down, and the story goes out, and that's how the traffic pattern flows with God. The Spirit comes to us and the story goes out. The Spirit comes to us and the story goes out. The church moves out. This is why the scholar Walter Brueggemann calls the church God's grandest truth and reconciliation committee. The ones who will tell the truth about God. La Sierra, today we're beginning this intentional and purposeful and honest and gutsy and brave conversation Whatever else we're doing, the most urgent question I feel after reading the scriptures again, are we the storytellers of God? Because church can be a lot. 
This is what you actually think about for 15, did I ever tell you about the time I flew in the dark for 15 hours? Just rethinking it last night, telling Kirby, I got all worked up again. How could you do that to a person? This is what you think about in the dark for 15 hours. The church can be and do much, but are we primarily the storytellers for God? That is what all of this is about, church family. Sometime spring quarter while we were moving around, a little thing happened in my life. I celebrated 10 years of being the lead pastor at this church. 10 years. I swear it was just 2009. I swear this little gray hair under here was not. Maybe it's me, maybe it's because 10 years and I'm a little antsy. Maybe it's us, your pastors are a little antsy. We talk about these things a lot. Who we are and what we're up to. We can keep being and doing what we be and what we are and what we do around here and we will bless a few people and we will baptize a few people and we will serve a few people and the neighborhood might be a little brighter. We can keep being and doing what we've always been, La Sierra. Almost by accident, a little bit of church happens and it's good. And I want to know if that's satisfying to you. More importantly, I want to know, is it actually biblical? Is that actually what the book of Acts is asking us to do? Keep doing what we're doing and maybe a little goodness will spill out. The Christian church exists to speak well of God in the world. Whatever else we think we're doing here. So we've said many times in the last 10 years, I'll say it again, the church doesn't exist to take us to heaven. That's what Jesus worries about. The church doesn't exist to provide great programming for our little children and grandchildren because we're, we ought to have our Bibles open at home. Church doesn't exist to, to kind of create new and fancy things to retain our young adults. My word, what language, like they want to be retained. The church doesn't exist so we can gather with kind of cool people that we like and we have enough in common and we, we kind of have opinions that we like and so it's a great place to escape from the rest of the world. If we think this is what church is, we haven't actually read our Bible story. There is a story worth telling about God. This is why church. There is a better story to tell and I wanna tell you 10 years in, I believe that. There's a better story we could be telling. There's a story worth telling. There are lives worth living patterned after Jesus that are not easier, they're simply more beautiful. 10 years in, I can tell you I'm convicted of a few things. This church can make a positive difference in our neighborhood and in our zip code and in the lives of all of our students in all of our schools, that can happen. But the bigger question is, are we telling God's story? That's what it is to be the church. So my thesis for the next few weeks, I think we do have an identity crisis as Christians in a world that's a little combative towards Christians because we've kind of earned it. We have a little bit of an identity crisis in Seventh-day Adventist church, and it's complicated. Our identities are complicated. It turns out we form and shape each other. Our identities are not being made in independent little spaces. We form and shape each other. 
We have collective identity that's complicated and it's riddled with contradictions. Massive obstacles. And still, I think we can find the next expression of Adventist Christianity that blesses the world. I believe this. Here's one of the books I've had my nose in this summer. The Lies That Bind. Kwame Anthony Apaya, The Lies That Bind, Rethinking Identity. He's an exceptionally bright philosopher, professor of law, exquisite writer. It's a thick read, in my opinion. He says, we tell ourselves these little lies, like, like we're, we're really more alike than we think we are. Those of us who all have white skin, or all the women in the world, or all of us who hold certain political ideas. We, we tell ourselves little lies that we're really very much alike. And then we tell ourselves other little lies that people who are different than us are a lot different than us. When we rethink our identity, he, char he charges us with this task. Of, it's just the work of all of us to rethink and then reimagine better identities because we tell ourselves little lies about this. We're pretty sure that deep down in, if I could put all the people of one persuasion of something in a room, that there will be an identifying core that will hold them all together. So he takes on people of creed in his, one of his first chapters we think those of us who at least claim a creed, I mean, of all things, people with a creed, people with religious convictions and ideas, people with these kinds of commitments, you would think Jesus as Lord would bind us all together, but he says it's so much more complicated that we actually can't find that core so easy. That it turns out that over time, traditions are reshaped and reformed because new generations are faced with new realities, and it's been happening for generations. He says this, we live with legacies, ways of thinking that took the modern shape in the 19th century. It's time to subject them to the best thinking of the 21st century. Can I just pause there? Adventist Christian Church was birthed at a time farmers were digging potatoes up out of the ground to harvest before Jesus would come in 1844. Except for a couple of you gardeners, the rest of us haven't dug up any potatoes this week. We have this 19th century shaping. It's time to bring the 21st century, the best thinking of the 21st century, not the least of which, he says, because we now live with seven billion humans on a small and warming planet. If you do not care, he goes on to say, if you do not care for the shapes your identities have taken, you cannot simply refuse them because they're not yours alone. You have to work with others inside and outside the labeled group in order to reframe them so they fit better. And, then, and you can do that collective work only if you recognize that the results must serve others as well. The lies that bind, rethinking identity. Here's some of the questions we'll ask in the next few weeks. Who do we think the church is in 2020? especially as the general population is, is recovering or still reacting from wrong versions of Christianity we've subjected them to. Who is the church in 2020 under the denominational leadership right now? That's a big question. A little smaller one. Who is the church under the denomination in North America? There's a thinking emerging in some of the leadership that we will just do better if we separate out all the younger generations and let the older churches die. This is actually being discussed in meetings where, 
I listen in because older churches will never be able to, to make the movements and the shaping that the younger generations are going to require now. So let's let 70-year-old churches go ahead and die and we'll invest in the new things. Who is the church in 2020? One of the blogs I read this week said, maybe the Christian church is done with sermons. Because have you ever noticed during the sermon everybody has their phone out? So it's a thoughtful person. Someone said of convocation on Tuesday when the university had the place filled with students and our new president gave an address, I heard it reported, you walk through here and look at the number of phones that are out, it's surprising any of us are absorbing anything. Said this blog this week, is it really possible that the Christian church can capture the full attention of this generation? Who is the church in 2020? Christian worship. Let me read you part of a letter. This, this letter is nine, nine pages. Kind of small font. Dear pastor, to whom it may concern. Copies of this have been sent to the conference office, the California conference, Southeastern California Conference Office the president and the pastor of La Sierra University, the entire pastoral staff of the La Sierra University Church. I'm writing to express a burden on my heart. I cannot keep it any longer. I'm a member of God's true remnant church. I've attended this church for years and been blessed by the pastors and the worship. As a member of Christ's body, I just must speak. I please ask for forgiveness beforehand so that I not offend anyone. When I enter the building, I am hit with heavy driving, beating, drums. There's nine pages here. This letter is dated to Pastor Chris Oberg in January of 2009. Before I even joined you. Before I even stepped into the stream on this side of town again. Nine pages written by a concerned person what might interest you is that it has the signature of several people. What might interest us even more is that they are the ages of 18, 19, 21, 23, and 27. So sit here and take it in right now, a Nord keyboard, thousands of dollars, up and against an organ, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Take it in. Will music be plaguing us until Jesus comes? Who's the church in 2020? When the organ technician repair people come out here, two guys who come and stand on the platform and crawl around in the pipes, they literally said to us on the last visit, you know you need to invest a half a million dollars in your organ, but are you sure you wanna do that? Because in 20 years, this will be an obsolete instrument. They said to a university church with a music department that trains organ majors. Who is this church in 2020? Who is this church in 2020? Will it always be Daniel chapter eight and Revelation chapter 14 that drive us into the future? Or are there more scriptures we ought to anchor ourselves in for the 21st century? Who are we in 2020 as we live out our commitments 
as we dig into a deeper hospitality, as we attempt to be faithful to the witness of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, and put out a warmer welcome, and that welcome scares other people away. Who are we in 2020? And can we really expect to hold a close community with so many diverging opinions on such important topics in the world? There's a play on campus next week. It's called The Christians. We should take it in. I think it starts on Thursday night. Students, you can get in for $5. This is by a private play company being brought to campus for just four showings. It features a preacher named Pastor Paul, and he had kind of a small church, and then it kind of grew and got huge, and they worship in a theater, and they have a cool coffee shop out front, and on this particular Sunday in worship, he's going to tell the church what he really thinks about hell. He doesn't believe in hell any longer. And the rest of the play, he thinks it's going to go okay, and he's wrong. They have little talkback sections after this play that, that featured next week. Take it in, because it'll stimulate, stimulate some conversation for us. Who are we? It's a question I'm going to ask for the next four weeks. Do any of these resonate with you as you're listening and thinking and what you talk about around your dinner tables and in your homes for Sabbath lunch? Are we simply apathetic right now? Are we exhausted because, frankly, our lives are exhausting? Are we in a conflict-ridden denomination right now? Are we in an identity crisis with our church? Are we really looking for something new, though, and fresh? Um, or do you just need church to be easy? That's a real question. My mama would say to me often, I like the way you think, but don't make it so difficult. Just some needs to be easy sometimes. Because what I'm talking about is not easy, church family. Who is the church today? Who are we today? We can go real local now for the next four weeks. Who do we think we are? And can we answer that? Will we come to an answer in the next month? On Thursday, when I was sitting in the coffee shop, typing away, reading away, all of a sudden, the entire coffee shop caught their breath, and everyone squealed out loud, here's what walked in the door. Can you see this little one with her hair two feet tall and bows on every side? The entire coffee shop went like this, <gasps> crazy hair day, huh? Yeah, crazy hair day, crazy, crazy. Oh, I remember crazy hair day, crazy hair day. I said to this little one, can I take a picture of your crazy hair? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed. She walks into the coffee shop and everyone in the space, 50 people know exactly what's going on. It's crazy hair day. Will we get to a space like that with the church? Where will greet each other or we'll walk in on a Sabbath or we'll be in a shared space and we know exactly what's going on? Will we be able to get that clear about what we're doing? Acts 1.14, sometimes the Bible is surprisingly simple, church. They agreed, the disciples, after Jesus is gone, that they are in this for good, completely together. Then they prayed. The women were included. I didn't make that up. Because there are 11 disciples. 
men, they agreed they were in this for good, completely together in prayer. The women are included also, Jesus' mother and Mary and his brothers. We're told there's about 120 people in the room that day, and they are in it for good. Not because they share an exact common 28 big ideas, not because they take their latte the same way, not because they love a great keyboardist, and we've got two. They're in it for good because Jesus just said, you'll be my witnesses in the world. There's a big, large God story to tell. What are we doing here? And is it really happening in one hour on Sabbath? Because this week, your church is helping several families say goodbye to loved ones. The next memorial service starts in a couple of hours for the Orr family. Because this week, when someone wanders into the church office and is in need of housing, people will scramble and make that happen. Because this week, some students are gonna turn up and they're gonna need tuition dollars and your church will make it happen. You make it happen. This week, You'll write a really big check to La Sierra Academy because we believe strongly in the mission of education and redemption. Because this week, Wednesday morning, those doors will open and more people will be fed and they will be clothed. This week, you'll gather in Bible study and some of you will gather and play golf together and others of you will have donuts and coffee. Don't know, not too much. And this week, a few of the others of you will go to the hospital and visit someone who's in great need and this week, the church will be alive in 1,000 places. Last Friday, late in the day, my phone lit up, text messages, the mayor's office, the city of Riverside. It was not even a phone call. It was simply a long, long text message. We have had this crisis, and it's over at Harupa Avenue Apartments, and there's about 100 plus, I think it's 100 families, 150 people. The gas pipes blew, and there's a problem. We had to evacuate everyone. We've got them in hotels. We need to feed people. And we just thought, well, we're going to reach out to our faith partners. So, hey, over there, La Sierra, would you help us feed some people? I said, yes. And the tears begin to flow on my face. The mayor has your church on speed dial, friends. And then I had to ask the more honest question. Is that about me and us? Or is that about God? You will be my witnesses in all of the earth. Just remember, this story belongs to God. Amen.